Super 70 Sports Podcast. Oh, hell yeah. Ah, welcome to the Super 70 Sports Podcast. I'm Ricky Cobb, and do I have a treat for you today? My guest has left an indelible mark on entertainment over a career that spans some four decades. You know him from films such as St. Elmo's Fire, Wayne's World, and Austin Powers, as well as TV hits The West Wing and Parks and Recreation. The list goes on and on. A man who really needs no introduction. Joining me now on the Super 70 Sports Hotline, Rob Lowe. Rob, how are you? It's a pleasure to 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 meet the man behind the Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank I've been you. Having so, I've been having so much fun. Uh, you know, I think I think your Twitter account's maybe my my favorite, most entertaining. And and just before we started the interview, I'm, I realize now why because I think we both are a basically the same age and come from the same part of the country. I'm I'm from Southern Ohio. And you're from Kentucky, right? So, Not that far uh, apart. I, I think. Let me ask you this: Was George Clooney your newsman of record? His <laughs> father, his dad. I remember his dad from uh, the. Uh, t- what was he on the uh, the classic a, movies? Can, well, yeah, but before that, he was the newsman in oh, yeah. um, in in Covington, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, he was, and he and he, he predates me a little bit. So. Well, uh, see, I was going to say the reason we're both so screwed up is we were getting our news from George Clooney's dad and his kids. That, that, that That's a theory. That's a theory. That would, that would do it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to say, you've been following me since close to the beginning, I think. I've been doing this for about two and a half years, and you've been along for most of the ride. I, and I don't know how I got turned on to the account. It might, it might have been my brother, Chad. I, it probably was, because... He's even more obsessed with 70s sports uh, sort of, you know, stuff than I am, and I'm, I'm pretty obsessed. So you grew up in Dayton, and I think yep. that you, you moved to California, I want to say you were about 12 yep. at the time. I was, I was, yep, I was a big red machine fanatic, and, and then had to move to L.A., which I hated. Um, you know, because the, the the hated Dodgers played in L.A. I, I've since over the years over the years kind of shifted my allegiance to the Dodgers, whereas my brother Chad will go down in flames with the Reds. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, you know, I have a fluky thing where I have a knack of showing up at games of consequence. Like I was in the Boston Garden for Magic's Baby Hook. I was in at the MGM Grand when Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. I was in Dodger Stadium when Kirk Gibson hit the walk-off home run in the World Series. Um, it it just it, it doesn't happen all the time, but but I, I have a weird mojo when it comes to to that stuff. That's pretty good. Where do those rank in your pantheon? I mean, if you had to if you had to narrow it down to one or two that were the most incredible to experience firsthand, what's at the top of the list? Oh, man, I mean, the Gibson home run is awfully hard to top, and I mean, I remember everybody was leaving. We everybody thought the game was over, and. I remember where I was standing in, in in Dodger Stadium, but the magic baby hook 
was was pretty spectacular because people forget that I think the Lakers came came back from 14 points down in the fourth. Uh, I was also in the Celtics owner's box as it happened, which made it oh so oh. sweet. Man, I mean, you want to talk about knocking the air out of a building. Yeah, so, so fun. So, yeah, you know, it's there's something about the 70s. What, we, I should ask you, you're the expert. What What is it? Is it just that we were young and impressionable and it left? Will you always remember the things that, that formed you as a kid? Or was it actually a different era? I, I want to say both. Because you hear folks that are a little bit older than us, the previous generation, wax poetic about the 1950s and what it was like to walk to Ebbets Field. And I'm sure that for them, the experience was much the same as what we had. But there's there was just something about the culture, I think, during that time period that just made it remarkable in a way. The hair, you know, for baseball, I think uh, I think that 1972 was the first time that a baseball player in, I mean, untold decades since the since the old days when everybody had uh, giant beards and mustaches, ba- baseball had no facial hair for like over a half a century, and so right. all of a sudden you've got all this hair and the and the music and just the, you know drugs uh, probably to some extent. I've got I've got, I've got an assignment for you because this is right. the one image that I remember as a kid and I've never seen it again. All right. Um, there's a I think it's Ted Simmons, right? Okay. The catcher, right? The catcher for the Cardinals. Simba, yes. Yeah, and he's doing a swipe tag on a runner coming into home plate, and his ponytail <laughs> is obscuring the base paths. And I just remember that being like sort of the heights of hippie, dippy, 70s sports insanity. Yeah, you weren't seeing that from Yogi Berra. No. And you're not and seeing it, it now, either. But it's, and it's one of the things I love about your your um, your site is, because we all had a little thing of like, was I, am I crazy, or did this really happen? And then you'll see the image and go, nope, that, that really happened. Greg Lozinski looked like a refrigerator repairman. Yes, he did. <laughs> Yeah, it was unbelievable. And then you'd have these wiry, like, I remember seeing George Foster hit, and I was there for an upper deck home run in Riverfront, which there were, were not that many of them. He That's was like a blast. A, a blast. And he was like a pipe cleaner of a man. I mean, and he just rocked it. Uh, you know, so it just goes to, I think, your physical body, you think it would have more to do with your, your talent, but I don't necessarily think it does. You know, Riverfront Stadium, since you mentioned it, the first game I ever went to in person was at Riverfront. Mm. Uh, because the Reds were the closest thing I had to a local team, they were about right. they were about three hours away. So, first game I ever went to, I was eight years old. Jack Clark, first inning, third get, third guy up, top of the first for San Francisco, hits one right over the four oh four mark in center field. Are you ready for this? I might have been at that game. No, I saw Jack Clark at Riverfront hit a seed. It literally was about. It was like he hit a two iron. Over the four, I mean, how many of those do you think he hit in the first inning? Probably not many. Probably not many. We may have been in the same row, man. I was in the blue seats. Uh, And and if you look it up, it might have been a doubleheader. If it's a doubleheader, we were at the same game. All right, I've got to look it up. It was, uh, I was, yeah, that's crazy. Well, that Uh, brings me up, brings my favorite thing of all time, which were the the 7-Eleven Slurpee Cups. Oh, I know we share affection for those. No, no, 
I want to find them. I want to collect them. I really, really do because Jack Clark's was my favorite because the phrases were so cheesy and his was the best. Jack Clark lights the spark at Candlestick Park. Wordy, but somehow, but perfect. But perfect, though. Lame, but perfect. Bob Horner on the hot corner. And then, and then they wouldn't even try to rhyme. Carlton on the corners. That's all you got. Like <laughs> right. Steve Carlton got he. Steve Carlton got bound. It was just like Carlton on the corners. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. I think after they came up with six or seven rhymes, you know, whoever whoever the guy was that was eighth in line that day with creative, they were like, yeah, you know what? Let's let's just do some alliteration and you know get out of here. I mean, how great! I mean, between the baseball cards. Oh, here's the other thing I love, and, and I love when you put them on are the action cards. Yes. Like, and and the action is literally somebody like walking over the third baseline. That's the action. <laughs> well, everything Tops did then was posed. So right, a, a, a mound conference. There's one I have. Yeah, that was action. <laughs> it was action. Yeah, yeah it was. And, and my brother Chad and I used to play a game in the backyard where we would we would make each other's action cards. <laughs> it was hilarious. So like we'd be playing in you know, a pickle. And I'd be like, "Oh, there's your action card," you know. It was like one of those things. <laughs> well, at the time, it was it was a novelty, you know, to see a guy leading off first base. That was that was some breathtaking photography. I know, I know. I, I, I'm not sure I love the way uh, the, all of it's changed. I still, I, I, I every time I turn on, like last weekend, I turned on and saw the Reds playing the Yankees, and it just made my stomach turn. I, I know the interleague play has been around for a long time now but i just i cannot i just cannot get over it i can't i mean do i sound like the old man going get off my yard you young people but i just can't take it and am i talking to a traditionalist is that what you're telling oh, me completely completely i don't i don't like the the new divisions the new by the way this is 15 years. <laughs> right uh, i mean i, I but here's what's weird and i don't like expansion teams but and I don't know what to attribute this to. Maybe because I love their uniforms, and I think the name is brilliant, and they're also great. But I love the Nationals. They're the only expansion team that I will accept. See, I'm the opposite because I'm still salty about the Montreal Expos. Yeah. I know. I know. that was a, They had, talk about a horrendous place to watch baseball. <laughs> I went there Good. for the first time in my life about three years ago, they opened it back up for a couple of Blue Jays exhibition games right before the start of, I want to say, the 2014 season. And I had never right. been. So I told my buddy, I said, look, let's get the plane tickets. We're going. And uh, it was like, it was really like walking back into time in possibly the worst sense. Uh, well, when did baseball decide that all of the stadiums should look like spaceships that had crashed into the earth I mean it's so bizarre I remember going on the field at Riverfront and and I and I this is what a nerd I was I collected warning track rocks or whatever it would be and kept them for years I still I think I still have warning track from Riverfront somewhere, see this but, sounds like a good idea to me this is why we get along I think that sounds like a normal thing to do it was to me. I mean, I was so excited to have it. But what I remember was it was legitimately cement with AstroTurf over it. Like, 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 
legitimate, like, like the kind of carpet that you would put outside of your house to clean your shoes off with right. over cement. That's what it was. It was unreal what, what stadiums used to be. Well, let's talk NFL because yeah. those guys are out there. And we know all the evidence now about CTE and these yeah. guys who played during that era. They were they were playing on green concrete, essentially. Oh, they were playing on green concrete. Okay, we're going to talk NFL. I have another assignment for you. And this, right. this falls under the falls under the. Am I crazy or did this really happen? I seem to remember Chris Collinsworth being the spokesman for contact lenses. <laughs> okay, I'll have to look into this. Just the, and the notion was that, that a wide receiver who couldn't see <laughs> <laughs> um, was, was, the, was sort of the pitch. So I, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly, but of course, you know, I grew up with, the, with him as the wide receiver for the Bengals. Well, see, I thought you, I thought you were going to say, am I crazy, or do I remember that Chris Collinsworth was actually an effective NFL wide receiver? Well, there's also that. All right, I'm going to get to the bottom of this uh, Ted Simmons ponytail and Chris Collinsworth contact lenses business, okay? Uh, yeah, I know, for sure. So you mentioned in your book, which uh, which is terrific, by the way. Thank you. Uh, um, that you were a Steelers fan when yeah. when you were a kid. Now, is that something that you've held on to? Or, you know, because yes. yes. L.A. has obviously been kind of a roller coaster uh, ride as far as the, the NFL over the course of the past decades. And, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to to commit to, you know, I've, I, I did always like the Rams. Um, even when I was a kid living in, in Ohio, I liked the Rams. Um, and, you know, Heaven Can Wait, Warren Beatty's character played for the Rams. So I have a sort of affinity um, for, for the Rams. But for whatever reason, when I grew up in Ohio in, in the 70s, none of my friends were Bengals people. Maybe they were Browns people a little bit later, but uh, all of us loved the Steelers. So, oh, how about this? Do you remember breakaway jerseys? Oh, do like, I ever? They were the best. Like I had my my Lynn Swan breakaway jersey and my Nerf football, and I would go out in the winter on the ice and snow with my my, my boys in Ohio, and that was like just the, my greatest childhood memories. So you guys, you guys obviously played tackle, right? Of course. That was the only way that you did it back then. Okay, all right. Yes. I mean, absolutely. Here's what's interesting is, you know, we have a family tradition of playing a big, gigantic football game every Thanksgiving, and we've been doing it, the Lowe family has been doing it for, you know, 30-plus years, and we never miss it. And now my kids are, you know, you know, 20, you know, 21, 22 years old, and they play tackle. Like, they, like we do the old man version where I come out and I'm like, you know, all time QB, and then I bail, and then they just knock the shit out of each other. Yeah, you can't do that past a certain age, and you and I are no. past it. Yeah, I I used to go and play tackle football with my friends. We would go to the high school field, and yep. there would be anywhere between probably ten and twenty of us, and we mm-hmm. would just go out there and knock the snot out of each other. You'd be sore for a few days, and then you'd go back out there and you'd do it again the next week. Just the thought of it now makes me feel like I would have to spend uh, a weekend in a hot tub. There are certain things in life that you know in your last moments you will be replaying like, yeah, I did that. And for sure, for me, one of them will be 
blindsiding poor Chad Lowe, <laughs> who just never saw me coming, and just turning him into a rag doll was like. <laughs> I'm going to have to have Chad back on the podcast to rebut this, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those were the days. Well, t- t- so so the, the Low Family Turkey Bowl here, you know, because you did a really cool spot for the NFL a few years ago talking about that. If we had an NFL film special narrated by the uh, the late voice of God, John Facenda, uh, yeah. g- give me a couple of uh, Low Family Turkey Bowl moments that would be captured for the special. Oh, Oh, gosh. First of all, disclaimer, they would all be unbelievably self-serving. They would be, you know, highlighting my athletic prowess and the fact that, for example, oh, by the way, last year at 53, I had five touchdowns thrown and two receiving and one. So it's, it's you know. Not that you were keeping I'm, count, but it just no, so no, Not that I still remember. And it was, you know, we're talking it's May and I'm remembering Thanksgiving, you know. That's the stuff you dream of, for sure. But I, 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 I'm the wrong person to ask because it would just be way self-serving. Well, you know what? As our athletic exploits should be, quite frankly, yeah. right? If you're not gonna, no, no, for sure. if you're not gonna, you know, reel off uh, your best moments, then what's the point in even uh, having memories? No, and I've had, I have had such good ones. I've had the good fortune to to meet so many of my heroes. I, I, you know, when when Pete Rose was managing the Reds, my two. Again, I'll, 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 here, I'm going to give you the greatest hits of my, my experience as a fan, just real quickly. One is Dodger Stadium, Reds are in town. I come to see, Pete's gotten me tickets, um, and he comes out ostensibly to make a pitching change, but what he's really trying to do is see where my seats are to give me the signal of, I'll call you later, which was, and then did not make the change, but gave me the I'll call you sign from the mound. That was amazing. That's pretty incredible. Um, I did get, to, did get to ask Pete who the most feared pitcher in his lifetime was. Like, who who was the guy just nobody wanted to face out of anybody? Was it, was it Bob Gibson? Was it, who was it? And he said, oh, it was Nolan Ryan, without a doubt. And then he said the greatest thing ever was he could throw a ball through a car wash and it wouldn't get wet. Ryan, man, I'm telling you, I'm working on a book right now about 70s baseball, and everybody has a Nolan Ryan story. He was just a, a badass. He just was unbelievable. If they had the guns that they're using now, at the time that Nolan was pitching, I've heard people who know these things, they say that he would be like 102 to 105 every fastball. And now, it was J.R. Richards faster? He is the, he's the one guy that you can make an argument for, I think. He's the other guy that when somebody mentions... And they're almost unanimous that Nolan was the hardest thrower, but Jr. is the guy that sometimes people put like uh, shoulder to shoulder with him. Yeah, he was he was a three or four season phenomenon. That was that. Let me ask you about Pete because you're friends with Pete, but I'm I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. What do you think about his Hall of Fame case all these years later? It's now been over a quarter century, going on thirty years since he was placed on the banned list. What are your thoughts here? I mean, Pete's obviously not getting any younger. In or out? I I say in. If it's just in or out and you have a gun to my head, I say in. And the, the reason I say in was there's never been, to my knowledge, any evidence that he bet against the Reds. So it's like he's betting on himself to win. He's betting on the Reds to win. Now, I, and I get I get the, the White Sox thing, and I get, I get that 
I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But he's he's such a great ambassador for the game in terms of personality and and his achievements. When you just look at him on paper, he recently gave me one of his jerseys with all of his stats embroidered on the back, and you cannot believe it. I mean, it's stunning, and I'm thrilled that he's on TV now because people get to see. You know, I think that's going to help turn the tide. Um, a little bit, and also in the culture that we live in, where every single you know barometer of what's appropriate has been leveled down into the goddamn gutter all across culture, we're still holding on to this for Pete Rose. It's a good point. It's a fair point, and I and I agree with you. I would I would be on the inside. I think Pete has been his own worst enemy in sure. in, in many respects. But for everything that he did for the game, you're talking about these stats. 200 hits a year for 21 straight years and you and you still need you still need 57 to beat him. That's that's goofy. It's insane. It's insane. I get I get to see Pete once hit a first pitch leadoff home run in Riverfront, which was amazing. You know, he didn't hit a bunch of home runs. So that that was and it's the head first slides the horrible haircut. He should be in the Hall of Fame for the haircut alone. <laughs> the haircut alone. In fact, he should go into the Hall of Fame without a cap on. Just the just the bowl, sure. just the bowl cut. Just that bowl. That Fauntleroy, little Lord Fauntleroy look. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he rocked it for for many years. You know, he stubbornly just kept that cut, man. And he he knew people were talking about it, but that was a man that had a vision. He was just going to oh. go to the wall with that haircut. And, and and did how many positions did he did he play for the Reds? I was trying to explain this to my kids. You they he played the outfield, he played third base, he played first base, and I think yes. he played somewhere else in the infield. Didn't he, he came up as a second baseman. Oh my god! Yeah, he played baseman. left, right, uh, third, second, and first base, and I want to say that he made the All Star team at at least four of those positions during I mean, his that, career. That alone, that alone is unreal. Nobody played harder. You know, when he would run to fir- when he would run to first base after a walk, today they'd beat him for it. Oh, you know what? Here's another thing: they don't do that so much anymore. I look. I I like takeout slides. I like bean balls. I'm sorry, I do. It makes me a dick. I'm sorry. What do you want from me? <laughs> I like I arguments. It. I like an occasional bad call. I like an occasional bad call. I like you know my manager scruffing the dirt and getting tossed. I like I like a good brawl. I'm all about it. See, now, now here you go again. We've got this dichotomy. It's our, our culture, as you say, in many respects, we're, we're having this, this race to the bottom. But yeah. on the other hand, it, we're, we're trying to take baseball and remove some of the rough edges. And aren't some of those rough edges part of what made the game great? For sure. I, I went, um, I've been going to a lot of Dodger games this year, and, you know, they have the pitching clock up now. Have you have you have you seen yes. this yet? Well, and it's hilarious because no one cares. <laughs> they ignore it. No right. one. It's not being no enforced. No one watches it. Right. No one enforces it. Nobody. It is hilarious. And by the way, the games are just as long. So it's like I, I don't listen. I um I I I I would like to. I would love a like legit commissioner. I mean, I don't mean I don't mean to casting aspersions on anybody. But, like, it would be great to have somebody who really loves the game come in and, and do the things that the fans really want and need and, and, and get it going. Because everything is, is sort of 
corporate and I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I still love the game, but it's not what it used to be. All right. Back in the day when you're out there with your brother and I know Charlie Sheen was a guy that you used to play ball Charlie with. Charlie Sheen could throw the baseball. I'm just telling you. Legitimately. Legitimately. And that's why he, in Major League, you know, that's, that's him. Look at, look at the motion. He had a beautiful motion and could bring it. Like, you did not want to play catch with him. You did not. It's a whole different experience with Sheen in Major League than Tim Robbins in Bull Durham because Tim Robbins yep. is supposed to be cranking it up there at 100, but the, the, I'm not buying it with the motion. Charlie, you could you could believe it. Yeah, no, Charlie still pitches all the time. I mean, he's he wanted to be, when, I, when we were kids, you know, I wanted to be an actor. A couple other of us did. He did not. He would go to baseball camp in Missouri every, every summer, and, and that was his thing, and he was good. Really good, and you know had a we had a jugs gun. I mean, a yeah, a jugs gun in the backyard and a you know a batting cage, and it got to the point where they were you know he, that group was way too good. I could I couldn't hang with them. So were you guys like was it tennis ball, baseball, wiffle ball? I mean, what was the tennis ball, baseball for sure. Okay. That was we played down at the the Point Doom School and it, here's the weird thing for one year I could throw a curve that broke about a foot and a half and I and then could never do it again I never I don't know how I did it I don't know why I did it but I had a, all of a sudden I stumbled on a curve that would actually break and then to this day I've never been able to recreate it it's, it's a mystery you were a phenom and then it all fell apart for one brief shining moment you're like Mark Fidrich there Fidrich I remember <laughs> Fidrich I, that, that was a great I was I, I, I saw Fidrich pitch one game in old Tiger Stadium it was amazing yeah, we talked to the ball it was his second year the first year was the big year for him right 76 I, but my favorite um, pitching performance I've ever seen other than Baumgartner in the World Series whatever four years ago a complete game in San Francisco mm-hmm. other than that was um, Gooden during his rookie year it was nuts he was filthy it was, it was ridiculous. I, I still, I still think that he was the that summer. I still think that's the best pitcher I've ever seen. Pedro Martinez is up there. Obviously, yep. there are other guys that you can make a really compelling argument for, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody better than Dwight Gooden was in the summer of '85. Yeah, it was. I'll never, I'll never forget it as long as as long as I live. It was just, and it just was fastball. And then slider curve, and if you didn't guess right, it was over. You had to guess. I have a friend who still talks about how he and his dad, if Gooden was pitching, they would make sure that the, they wanted to see when the opposing pitcher came up because he was so overmatched that it was uh, it was just comedy. Yeah, just right down the pipe, just right down Broadway. Like with three pitches and over. Good night. No way you could do anything. So fun. Now, here's something that I read about in your book that I, I gotta ask you about because the '70s and the '80s were also uh, they were the they were let's face it that was the best era for game shows. There were so many oh, yeah. good game shows during that time, and I didn't realize this until I read your book. But in 1979, you were on the and this is I'm dating you here, but you were on the ten thousand dollar pyramid. How great is it? Like the like ten thousand dollars was like, no way! You basically went on there and cleaned house. I was really good at it. I mean, I, I, I loved, that was my favorite game show. I loved it, I watched it, 
And then uh, as a young actor, they asked a bunch of young actors to come on for charity. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, they they did, we recorded a lot of shows because they wanted a bunch of, they hopefully wanted other people to win. And I kept, I kept beating everybody. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go in the tank. So, um, I think Tony Danza was my opponent. Okay. Well, that explains it. I'm it kidding. Was, Tony it Danza. Was, it was, yeah, no, it was not pretty. <laughs> um, but it was so fun. They had that great theme song music, which I loved. Dick Clark was the host. And, you know, Dick Clark, he's a legend. It was in New York City. It was one of my first trips I'd ever had to New York City. And it was, it was a, like a complete thrill. I was 15. It was pretty good. It was good stuff. Now, my followers know how much I despise Comcast. And <laughs> this, I love it. this is sort of a, it's become a running theme. I'm, and it's one of those things where everybody's ready for you to criticize Comcast because everybody's got a Comcast story. But there's no reason to me more that I dislike Comcast than they had to whine and complain about those awesome direct TV commercials you were doing. I know. So great. It made me so happy. I mean, those, those direct TV commercials, um, I, I, I never expected them to have the kind of impact they did. I, I hoped they would be funny. I hoped people would like them. I knew I was going to have fun doing them, and so that's why I did it. But, you know, to, to, to this day, here's a good one. So I'm at, the, I'm at the Laker game recently, and Floyd Mayweather is sitting there, who I've never met. And he looks at me and goes, you, you, you're Rob Lowe. I've seen your commercials. There's a lot of you. <laughs> Made me laugh. That's hilarious. See, well, now I think that super creepy Rob Lowe, I kind of feel like that may be the high point of 21st century pop culture so far. Yeah, he's he, he, Down at the rec center watching folks swim is pretty great. I'm, I'm actually surprised we got away with it. It's, I mean, uh, smell. I like. I like to smell other people's hair. I like to smell. I like to smell other people's hair. It's so. Uh, they were so fun to do. Really, I will say though that playing Harry Roblo, the most uncomfortable I've ever been because it's real hair glued. Oh man, to my body. Yeah, that's no good. Not, was not fun. Now, when I say super creepy, Rob Lowe, I've got I've got to bring up, uh, and you know, you've been in so many uh, fantastic uh, movies and TV shows through the years. But one of my very favorites is one that might be a little bit off the radar for some people, and it was Untouchable, the true story of Drew Peterson, the uh, Illinois cop who uh, kill who killed his wife and also killed his. His uh, his previous wife, uh, as it turns out. Now, when I, I lived in Bolingbrook, Illinois, about two, no way. about two blocks from the police station when all of that was happening. So it was a national phenomenon. But I lived right there. I drove past it every day on my way to and from work. Well, I love that's I love that you love that that show and that performance because it's one of my favorites as well because. You know, it's I got the script to that, and the script was terrible. And I said, you guys missed the boat. What this guy actually said is what should be in the script, because you can't make it up. He is, there's a great moment where he's on Larry King, and Larry King says, you know, Drew, you've lost, 
two of your wives are dead, people think you might have killed them. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, maybe it's a duck. And he says, well, I'm sorry they don't have all the duck's information. <laughs> yeah, you can't script that. You can't make it up. It's, yeah. Oh, so I'm, yeah, no, and, and listen, let's, you know, the line, I'm untouchable, bitch, is one of the great. <laughs> it's up there with, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I own that, Rob, so I, that, that's how committed I am to your performance in that particular film. Is uh, Oh, thank I, you. And, you know, it's it seemed like a stretch when I found out they were making a movie about it. Of course, as a local, you're... It's it's even more bizarre to follow the story. And then when yeah. I find out you know, Rob Lowe is playing Drew Peterson, my first thought is is that seems like a stretch. That's not a that's not a Rob Lowe role. And then you go out and you just nail it. You totally no, you totally got his vibe. How do you approach playing somebody who is that sociopathic and skeezy? Well, that, it's funny. I it, there are some roles you pick because you know you can you have something to offer and you think you'll crush it, right? Like when I got the West Wing, I was like, I know what to do with this. There are other roles like Drew that I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. None. And I might be horrible because I'm nothing like him. I don't look like him. I'm not built like him. I don't sound like him. There's not one thread in my being that I can hang on to to play this dude. But then you want the challenge of it. You know, you, you go, is there a way I can transform somehow? And I knew a lot about him because I'd followed it on the news. And I knew he I knew he had a very specific speaking style. So I, I knew I could nail the the cadence and, and the imitation. I'm really good at imitations. So I figured at least if I can do that, I can I can work around the physical stuff. And um, I had a, a big debate with the with. Um, the network on it because they, they wanted me to look like me. Go figure. I was like, wait, what? And I'll never forget the line. We paid for Rob Lowe. We want him to look like Rob Lowe. I go, but I'm playing a, a guy that people knows anyway. So I wore a, I wore a fake nose that they that no one knew about until the final day of shooting when I ripped the nose off. So when I'm when I'm playing Drew, I have a fake nose. I have fake of the mustache, fake eyebrows, fake bags under my eyes. And you know that stuff get, can get you a long way if you if you can find out a way to inhabit the character. And, and it's one I'm really, 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 really proud of because it's about as far outside my range as I can go. It's a gem. I would encourage people to look it up and check it out. I, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, you've got a new show coming up with your sons. I yes. think that's supposed to drop this summer. Looks really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, you you're the perfect person to tell because I bet you. Without even knowing, back in the day, you probably were a fan of the great Leonard Nimoy show, In Search Of. Absolutely. Right? Yes. See? Well, as was I, and just the notion of looking for Sasquatch, or looking for the Loch Ness Monster, or Amelia Earhart. Like, I loved that show as a kid so much that basically what I've done is I've reimagined that show with my kids and I going out and having adventures and, and, and trying to figure out is Bigfoot really real? Um, you know, it, it, what's the most haunted place in the United States? And can we go out and find out if there are ghosts there? So it's, it's one part sort of loving homage to, to, to those shows. And then the other part is really it's 
more than anything. It's sort of a, a, a family adventure show in an amazing way for me to have great adventures with, with my kid and uh, my kids. And I'm, it's called The Low Files, and it premieres um, the first week of August on A&E, and it's really fun, really fun. I think people are going to dig it. Without giving anything away, could this be the biggest feather in your cap after nearly 40 years of entertaining us? Could you possibly blow the lid off of Bigfoot? Or if, I'll put it to you this way. When I was a kid in the 70s and moved to Malibu, there was a rumor that there was an underwater base where submarines could go under the continental shelf into L.A. And it was just a known, everybody talked about it. And people thought it was, some people thought it was BS, other people thought it was real, but everybody talked about it. It was like a common thing people spoke about. I forgot all about it until about three years ago when Google Earth mapped the ocean floor. And lo and behold, right off of Malibu is this underwater anomaly. You can go ahead and Google it. And I'll be damned if it, if it isn't three huge entrances. Wow. Our second episode, we take the James Cameron ROV underwater and find out what the hell's going on out there. I'm already but, hooked. The show hasn't started that's a, yet. It's like, a, it's like a dream come true for a 12-year-old boy trapped in a 53-year-old man's body. <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. We've got, we had, we had two, we, we had a, a Sasquatch incident that is beyond belief. And we, and we had a, um, some stuff with, with ghosts in the first episode that when we showed it to the network, they were literally were like, wait a minute, you, you guys staged this. Of course, we didn't stage anything. We, I would never do it. I mean, sometimes we find stuff. We really, really do. And other times we don't because it's real. I mean, we're really doing this. Um, so I think people are going to like it. Did you expect to get freaked out? When you began this undertaking, I mean, did it exceed your expectations in terms of giving you uh, chills? It, it, it did, particularly the, the Bigfoot stuff, because here's another one for our era. The Legend of Boggy Creek ah. was, uh-huh. Yeah, that's what did it for me. It was a 70s drive-in B-movie where um, people were terrorized by Bigfoot, and, and that freaked me out so much that I've been obsessed with it ever since. Um and then to really be in a position where you feel like it could be happening to you was beyond belief. So fun. Sounds awesome. I'm going to be watching it. I'm sure that I'm not going to be alone in being entertained by that. Rob, thank you so much for the support that you've given at Super 70 Sports. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a blast. You bet. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, my friend. All right. Talk to you soon. My thanks again to Rob Lowe for one of the best conversations yet on this podcast. What a terrific guy he is. And keep an eye out for the Low Files on A&E coming this summer. You know, it occurs to me that it's been a while since I've had an athlete on the podcast. And I think that that's still a thing that I do. Let's correct that oversight Because next week, my guest is one of the greatest shortstops to ever play in the major leagues. And a man who, in my opinion, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Alan Trammell will be my guest. And we'll talk about that great 1984 Detroit Tigers team that went wire to wire on their way to a World's Championship. And I've got to ask him about the time that he and Lou Whitaker were on an episode of Magnum P.I., And that's just going to be the start. So join me, Ricky Cobb, and my guest, 
Alan Trammell next time. And remember to never miss an episode of the Super 70 Sports Podcast.